I wanted to share some things with you this morning um, that hopefully encourage you and try and speak into the moment that we find ourselves in. And I wanted to start with these words from Judges in chapter 6, verses 2 to 6. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Malachites and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. So it's a story about a tribe, the Israelites, who have been oppressed over a long period of time. It's a story set thousands of years ago. It's about warring tribes. It's about a battle for land. It's about a battle for resources, for regional supremacy, for power and control. And that's why a story that is thousands of years old can resonate today. Because although we don't generally run each each other with spears and camels or dig up each other's crops, we know all about warring tribes We know all about Democrat against Republican. We know all about lockdowners and anti-lockdowners. We know all about warring tribes. In fact, it's becoming a little bit too tribal in many ways right now. We know all about battles for power and resources and land and control. We see it all over our world all the time. And in this story, the running skirmishes have been going on for the last seven years and the Israelites are losing badly. They've had seven years of being harried and chased around the land, living in fear and terror of when the enemy might strike them or their family. No doubt there were stories told of these enemies and of the destruction that would come upon those who they attacked. No doubt some of those, some people had suffered because of these enemies. And no doubt the stories were exaggerated to put fear into the tribes who were struggling. We read the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves and strongholds, that the enemy ruined the crops and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. That wasn't their usual lifestyle. This wasn't what they were used to nor how they wanted to live. They were having to live differently because of the threat of an enemy. Does it sound familiar? The writer tells us that their land was ravaged and in the end they became impoverished. To become impoverished means to be made poorer. To be made poorer means you lose something of value. You lose that which you possess and hold dear. For the Israelites, that meant their flocks, their land, their crops, most likely family and friends taken from them until in the end they had very little. Now one of the reasons that I love the Bible is that it contains stories about people. And when you start to get behind the bits about flocks and camels and crops, you start to see the effects on the people. And you see how it can start to speak into our lives thousands of years later in a totally different time and culture. Because over the last seven months, many around the world have become impoverished. Not because of a physical enemy, but because of a virus, or rather because of the suggested solution to the virus. I think, uh, who, who suggests that world poverty might have doubled this year? Doubled. Many have become impoverished at this time. There have been tar- stories told of this enemy and of the destruction that would come upon those it attacked. Perhaps you know someone who has suffered because of this enemy. Perhaps you have suffered. 
perhaps you have lost someone. You will certainly have heard stories about this enemy that are not always based on the truth and seem to be designed to put fear into you. And like the Israelites thousands of years ago, it's easy to think that we have been impoverished because of this virus and, and many have literally been impoverished, not so much by the virus, but by the methods used in an attempt to contain it. We have not lost crops, although friends in other parts of the world have. We have not been harried and chased across our land, although friends in other parts of the world have. But we have had to retreat to our homes. We've become socially impoverished and many, many people in our nation have become mentally and financially impoverished. And sadly, we are only going to see an increase in the coming months and years. To become impoverished means to be made poorer. To be made poorer, you must lose something of value, that which you possess or hold dear. I think it's safe to say we've all been impoverished in one way or another this year. And we must recognise that, we must acknowledge it as a reality in our lives, but we must also decide what we're going to do from there. It's very easy to point out what you've lost, to be aware of what you do not have, to complain about what you feel you can no longer do. Frankly, anybody can do that. But we are not anybody. We are the people of God. We have the Spirit of Christ on the inside of us. And although we may be impoverished in certain ways, he was made poor so that you might become rich in every way. The story goes on in Judges 6 verse 7 to 10. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the God of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. So the Israelites, they got to a point where they cried out to God, which might be the first thing we need to do. We might need to express our pain, our frustration, our anguish, our anger, because if we don't express what's on the inside of us, it eats us up very quickly and disables us, and we find ourselves in pits of pity and despair. And as I've been teaching this last month or so, we must express our heart. We must express the cry of our heart. We must share how we feel about these things so that we can move on from there to a new place. Israel is crying out to God, complaining how terrible it is that their enemies are overrunning them. And God sends a prophet to remind them of some things and also to point out they didn't need to be in this place. God sends a prophetic voice. And as usual with a prophetic voice, it's not comfortable to listen to. The prophetic voice reminds Israel what God has done and also points out a previous instruction. God had very clearly said that he was the only God worth worshipping and that if they decided to worship other gods, it wouldn't go so well for them. And guess what? God, not for the first time, was proved right. You see, at the beginning of the chapter, the verse I didn't read, verse 1, it says this, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Which sounds like God put the Israelites on the naughty step because they didn't do what they were told. That's how many people read verses like that. Ah, well, God's this kind of mean God, and if you don't do what he says, he's going to punish you. But think of it this way. My eldest son, Joshua, is now at university, and hopefully he's studying hard. If he studies hard and works hard, he'll have more chance of getting a top grade in his degree. And as his dad, I can say to him, son, study hard, you'll do well, you'll come out with a better degree. All things equal. Of course, though, what Joshua does 
is entirely up to him. I can't force him to study. He's 18 now. He's got to decide what he wants to do. In that sense, I have given him over to his studies. I've let him decide and choose. And there will be an outcome, one way or another, based on his choice. If he does as I suggest and works hard, he'll have a greater chance of getting a top grade, but it's up to him. If he chooses to spend much more time in the pub than the library, and as a result doesn't get a decent grade, then that's not my fault. He's chosen. And out of his choice, there is a consequence. The low grade he might receive if he did that is not me punishing him for disobeying me. It's simply a direct consequence of his own choices. I have given him over to his studies. And if he ends up in the pub more than the library, he may well not get a great great degree. But that's not me punishing him. That's him reaping the consequences of his own choices. And that's exactly what the Israelites had done. They had reaped the consequences of their own choices. They chose not to follow God, chose not to obey him, chose not to worship him. They they had uh, altars and all sorts of things to other gods in their place. Therefore, the consequence of their own choices meant they were overrun and impoverished. Put simply, if you don't listen and act on good instruction, you don't end up in a good place. It's really quite simple. Every time you read in the Old Testament about God doing this and God doing that, God goes, look, if you do this, this will happen. If you don't, you won't. It's, it's really simple. If you don't listen and act on good instruction, you don't end up in a good place. So to get back to our story, if we are feeling impoverished, then perhaps we have to ask ourselves whether we have been following and acting on the good advice we have been given. Have you been listening to and acting on the voice of God as you have heard it? Or are we guilty, as the Israelites are, of not listening? You see, the prophetic voice of God is not always easy to listen to. In fact, it's often very uncomfortable to listen to. But that's always been the way. Just read the prophets in the Bible. Read about Hosea and Micah and Zechariah and uh, Amos and all those guys. They, are, they didn't have a kind of, oh, it's going to be all right. It's gonna, they were strong. I mean, they married prostitutes and do all sorts of things to show and, and to express it. And of course, we are very blessed. Because we in this house have a very clear prophetic and apostolic voice. He's called Paul. But he's not always comfortable to listen to. Because he's a prophetic and apostolic voice. But that instruction that comes forth, that advice that comes forth, that help that comes forth. Well if you follow it, if you put it into action. You will end up into a better place than if you don't. It really is. That's simple. Each week there's instruction, help, advice, opportunity to grow, to handle what's happening. But we must take responsibility. He wants you to be aware of it. He's got a great big flashlight out and he is going to shine it on you because he don't want you to have to carry it anymore. Of course, that's hard work. It's emotionally and mentally draining. If we don't manage to keep on top of ourselves, if we don't manage to keep a right perspective, if we don't manage to see what God is up to, then after a while we start to focus on all the ways we've been impoverished. We stop seeing the ways we might have prospered. We stop seeing the ways we are growing and start to feel weary in the fight. And what happens after a while of feeling impoverished, and especially if you're feeling harried and chased, and and, and you're doing all you can to stay standing, is eventually weariness sets in. And you find yourself hiding away. Which is where Gideon found himself. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abyssinite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat 
in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So Gideon is the unlikely hero in our story. But when we first see him, he's hiding away, terrified of the threat of the enemy. He's threshing wheat in a wine press, which means to say he's hiding. He's trying to look after that literally has left to keep him going. A wine press would normally have high walls. Normally you'd put your grapes in there and walk around with your bare feet to press them to make the wine. But Gideon is in this place, hiding away with a little bit of wheat that he's got, threshing it to try and hide. He's in fear, he's in hiding. He's no doubt weary from the seven years of fighting, weary from the years of running away, of hiding in rocks and caves and trying to survive. He's doubtless fed up, frustrated, asking all sorts of questions about why he is where he is and where God might be in it all. Again, does it sound familiar? I wonder how many of us are weary from the last seven months, weary of being restricted, weary of the polarization of opinions, weary of feeling like you are getting free only to feel like you're getting bound back up again. Weary of seeing graphs and charts and wondering what different opinion will be shared from the same day to the following day. Weary of working out which eminent and highly qualified professor is interpreting the data correctly. Weary of wondering what new regulation tomorrow will bring. I know I'm weary of all that. And I guess many of us, for one reason or another, might feel a connection with Gideon. Weary of the battle and the fight. Weary of praying and not seeing yet what we hoped for, weary of it all. We are weary in a metaphorical wine press, hidden away or wanting to hide away, hiding under the duvet, as Paul described it in his latest video. We've done well at focusing on that which we still have, that which we can still enjoy, but still it wearies. Even if you've been fighting hard, and actually if you've been fighting hard and praying hard and standing and, and making every negative and a positive, you probably feel the most weary. Because you have been using lots of emotional, mental and spiritual energy to stay strong, to stay brave, to keep walking, to find a way, to keep praying. You may well feel weary. And it may well be that you are doing everything you can to not be in a wine press hiding. To you I say, well done. I also say, keep going. Keep going. And listen to the encouragement that comes. To Gideon. Verse 12. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The Hebrew for mighty warrior is the word gibor. It means this powerful, warrior, champion, chief, excel, giant, mighty one, strong, valiant. Now, I guess this morning, very few people feel like that. You don't feel powerful or a warrior or a champion or a giant or a mighty one or strong. Gideon did not feel like that. He's hiding in a wine press. After seven years of oppression, he's fed up. He's weary. He just wants to hide away. And the angel of the Lord, it may well have been Jesus, says to him, Hey, my warrior. An angel appears to Gideon. Weary of the battle and the fight, weary of praying and not seeing what we might have hoped for, weary of it all and declares to you, powerful warrior, champion, chief, excel, giant, mighty one, strong and valiant. Gideon, though, is not on the same page. Perhaps you are not on the same page. 
perhaps your reaction to that, your instant reaction is, oh, seriously, Adam's going about this again? Really? Because I don't feel like that? Well, like, this is Gideon. Pardon me, my Lord. Gideon's very polite. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? Good question. Where are all these wonders our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of Midian. Now, I don't know whether these are excuses or genuine questions, but let's be kind and give him the benefit of doubt and say they're genuine questions because he's trying to work it all out. How the heck is Gideon a mighty warrior when all around him suggests the exact opposite? See right now, all around you might suggest the exact opposite. We were coming out of lockdown, finding more freedom. Now we've gone back in to lockdown. It feels like you were getting shut up. It feels like you were getting shut down. It feels like things are getting worse, not better, despite the seven months of sustained prayer, despite all the things we have given to, despite all our our prayers and our worship and our attempts and our, our output and our offerings. It feels like it's not really getting much better. He says, the Lord has abandoned us. Well, first of all, that's just ridiculous. God didn't abandon the Israelites and he's not abandoned you. In fact, for the Israelites, they abandoned him. They ignored him. They choose their own way. And now Gideon's got the cheek to blame God for it. God's never abandoned anyone. He's never walked out on anyone. He has never and will never abandon anyone. But there are two ways to look at everything. You can view things through the lens of Jesus, through faith, and what he says about it, or you can view things through the lens of physical reality. As we've said many times before, it's not your circumstances that impact you, it's how you view your circumstances. Your perspective is everything. That's why the ability to have a God perspective, the ability to develop gratitude, the ability to see and declare what God says over you is so vital. So once again, we have to ask the question, what are you seeing? And what are you saying? It's utterly vital to your future. Your speech is the single most powerful weapon you have to create your future because whatever you sow in words and actions, you will reap in reality. Interestingly, the angel is not concerned about Gideon's questions or excuses. He has got a message to deliver. He doesn't answer any of the questions. He just says this in verse 14. Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. There are three parts to this commission and each one of them apply to each and every one of us today. What the angel said to Gideon all those years ago, he says to you and I, first of all, go. Leave this place you're in. This place uh, of fear and doubt and unbelief and go somewhere else, go somewhere better. Yes, there was a new physical place for Gideon to go, but the key thing was the place in his mind. The place where he found himself physically in the wine press was just a picture of where he mentally hidden away, fearful, scared. And the angel says, nope, that's not a place you're going to live. You don't need to live there. Go. Go meant stop hiding, stop trembling, stop doubting and leave the wine press where you are hiding out of fear and get into some faith, get into a new way of thinking, get into a new way of seeing. As I said last week, leaving lockdown is not the answer. So it's finding new perspectives in our minds. We will leave lockdown. At some point we will leave lockdown. And at some point we will get back to what we think is normal. I don't know when or, or how, but we will. But that's not going to give you the answer you need. Seeing your family on Christmas Day is not the be-all and end-all. 
please don't think it is. You'll be deeply disappointed if you think that's the answer. The answer is finding something in your heart. He's finding the peace of Jesus in your heart. Because then, no matter where you are or who you're with, you can experience a sense of peace. The answer is to deal with what we carry in our hearts that steal from us wherever we go. So we've got to leave those places of fear, doubt and unbelief behind. And you choose what you believe. You choose whether this is the end of the world or the beginning of the end of glory. You choose whether God's in charge or he's not. You choose to believe whether this can be a wonderful time or not. You can choose it. And I think God has got our attention. Or if he ain't got our attention, we must be deaf and blind and dumb. Because there are some things God wants to do right now in this time. And sadly, sadly I wonder, I wonder whether he has to allow this just to get some of our attention that we might wake up. Sadly, I wonder whether he has to go, what do I have to do? to get my people to see? What do I have to do to get my people to rise up? And, and I, I'm as guilty of it, but it took seven months for churches in this nation to say that we're going to pray together about it. Seven months. And, and I'm as guilty as anybody, I admit. But somehow it, it took this for the churches across the nation to agree that we're going to have a day when they were going to pray together. Maybe it takes this for God to get our attention. Maybe that says something about us that we don't like. But we need to leave those places of fear, doubt and unbelief behind. They are no good to us. They don't bring us life and prosperity and peace. So let's leave them behind. Let's encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. Let's encourage one another. Let's find a different place. Let's listen to something that's positive. Let's listen to something that's uplifting. Let's try and find something that's good and positive. Because it's out there. It's called Jesus. In the strength you have. I love this. In other words, what are you waiting for? Use what you already have and take it because that's enough for you. You are already a mighty warrior. It's been spoken over you. So go in that strength in faith, believing and declaring and agreeing with the Father because that's more than enough for you. As we sang this morning, you are a conqueror. Are you or not? You have to answer that question. Are you a conqueror or not? I'm a conqueror because the conqueror lives in me. Therefore, I'm a conqueror. I know I'm a conqueror. I have good days. I have bad days. Sometimes I don't feel like I'm a conqueror, but that doesn't really make much difference because I know God says I am a conqueror. What are you? Are you a conqueror? Or are you just somebody who's going to kind of go with the flow and get pressed down and pushed about? And... I'm a conqueror. The same message that we go in the strength we have is for you and for me. You are already a mighty conqueror because it's been spoken over you. But what are you going to speak over yourself today? What story are you going to tell yourself? What song will you sing? Are you alone, isolated, downcast, rejected? Are you going to text everybody of how terrible it is? Or are you going to say, today I'm thanking God because I am a powerful warrior, a champion, a chief. I'm going to excel. I'm a giant. I'm a mighty one. I'm strong and I'm valiant. What if we text each other that this week? What if we said we stood in awe of how strong and valiant each other was? What if we said that we're thankful and grateful for the strength and excellence and warrior spirit that's in each of us? What if we reminded ourselves how powerful we were rather than texted how terrible it was and how we carried this and carried that and carried the other? What if we did something different? And by the way, when I say what if, that means I think you should. Your spirit is not locked down. Your voice of praise is not locked down. Your voice of triumph is not locked down. But what story are you going to speak of yourself? And the sad thing is most people won't. But hopefully some people will. 
Hopefully some of you will understand it's time to reach out on your own and connect in a new way with Jesus. Somebody wrote this to me last week. We are the church and we need each other more than ever. We also need to worship to fix our eyes on him above all. I wonder if we need to take that ownership and responsibility for our own faith and call to worship where we are. I wonder if the Holy Spirit is using this time to call and pull us into new depths of spiritual maturity where we really have to value depth to seek it for ourselves. This person was absolutely bang on. I don't wonder about those things. I know those things. I know the truth. We are finding out whether our faith is a social club or a relationship with a king. We're finding out whether we are prepared to fight for our relationship with this person who we have sung his lord and master and king and who we'd do anything for and go anything for. But many of us have sung songs about going anywhere and doing anything and we can't even be bothered to put a worship tune on or say a prayer for five minutes. Listen, this is a time where the sons of God have been found out. Are we part of a social club? Or do we love Jesus? You see, every relationship has to be worked on. And sadly, in our relationship with Jesus, we often think he's got to be the one working really hard. But if two people came to me in a marriage relationship and one was doing all the hard work and the other one wasn't, I would have some words for the one that wasn't. I would say, if you want to keep this relationship, if you want to grow this relationship, you both have to put the effort in. You both have to make sacrifices. And trust me, Jesus has already made all the sacrifices that are needed for your relationship with him. He doesn't need to make any more sacrifice. He doesn't need to reach out because he's already reached out. He's already living in your heart. It's time to decide what level of Christianity we actually want. Are we happy to turn up on a Sunday morning, have all the hugs, say hello to everybody, talk to our friends, and then sing a few songs and go home? Or do we actually want the risen Christ in our lives are we willing to fight for the risen Christ to be in our lives what are we prepared to pay listen many people in many places have learned this stuff the Nepalese have learned this stuff the Chinese have learned this stuff the western world has never had to learn it but we have been forced to at least start to learn it and I am in no way comparing what we are going through with that in other places in no way because this is nothing but you know why there's 100,000 people in churches? You know why Christianity was the fastest growing place in the world? It was in China. Why? Because they decided they wanted to love Jesus with all their heart and they were going to go for it. And I think God might be asking the Western church that same question. I don't wonder whether we need to take ownership and responsibility for our own faith and call to worship where we are. I know we do. I don't wonder if the Holy Spirit is using this time to call and pull us into new depths of spiritual maturity where we really have to value depth and seek it for ourselves. I know he is. question is how are you going to respond? Verse 14 says, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Listen, it was Gideon's calling. It's your calling to save somebody from somewhere. The word is true now for all of us. If there was ever a moment to learn to get out of ourselves, it's now. If there was ever a time to understand that it's not about you, it's now. I was hearing the other day of how the queue at the food bank was longer than it's ever been. It's only going to get longer. Sadly. Because the economic impact of lockdown, that queue is only going to get longer. There are many, many people who are impoverished not just socially, financially, mentally. What was the latest start? Something like 50% of people in the UK have some level of anxiety or depression right now. 
Listen, that might be you. And I recognize that. But if you know Jesus, you are already better off than anybody that doesn't. Already. This is an incredible time when the church could rise up. It could rise up. And we seem to be a powerful force for good in our world in a way we've never seen before. But that will depend on every individual deciding whether they want to do it or not. Don't look to the left. I'm quite pleased there's just maybe you and a couple of people in your house because you can't look around. You can't kind of go, oh, well, that's for somebody else. No, no, I'm talking to you and what you will do and what your choice will be in this time. And maybe, like Gideon, and like nearly everybody, including me at times, you will say this, pardon me, my Lord, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. He gives excuses why you can't do it, why it's not possible. Listen, everybody can give excuses. Everybody can tell me why they can't do it. Everybody can tell me of the story and this reason and that reason and the other reason. It's fine. We could have a big competition. You know, it'd be like that Monty Python sketch where it gets worse and worse and worse. Oh, in my day, we didn't have bread. Oh, in my day, we didn't have wood. Oh, in my day, we had... Listen, we can all do really well at that, but it won't get you anywhere helpful or useful. So just quit. Okay, just stop. It doesn't take you anywhere good. It doesn't take anybody else anywhere good and it doesn't help anybody. As Paul said many times, don't tell me what you can't do. Can't do, tell me what you can do. Don't tell me where you can't go. Tell me where you can go. Don't tell me what you can't afford. Tell me what you can afford. You can knock on your neighbour's door and ask them if they're all right. You can send a text message. You can reach out. You can donate for a food bank. You can help at a food bank. You can do all sorts of things. You have something to give. You have something to share. You can make a difference. And this world needs you. Our town needs you. Your friends need you. Your community needs you. You have something to offer them this is Gideon's moment the angels told him a different story than the one he believes about himself which will he believe will he continue to believe he's the weakest in the family and from the weakest clan or will he believe what God's spoken over him that he is a mighty warrior what will you believe the story you've been brought up with the story you've told yourself for many years the story you've told yourself just now or perhaps a different story. We can believe the story that God speaks over us. The one that says we are mighty warriors, champions, powerful, strong and more than conquerors. That is your choice and I cannot make it for you. The angel finishes his part of the conversation with a, a very simple statement. He doesn't do anything in terms of the excuses or reasons why Gideon says he can't. He just says, I'll be with you. And you'll strike the Midianites down. I'll be with you and you'll do what I called you to do. That was his promise to Gideon, it's promise to you. He will be with you. Gideon was sent to rescue Israel. You were sent to rescue somebody near you. Go in the strength you have and save. Because this world needs people like that. It needs you to do that more than ever. It needs you. And I don't know what you thought when we talked about this new era. But I think some people thought it was just going to be a nice kind of happy clappy time and we get into it. The truth is you don't get to see new things in God without paying a price. 
It just doesn't happen like that. You don't, you don't get to experience new dimensions of God, new gifts of God, new breakthroughs in God without it also costing you something. We were not just going to walk into this new era, era of glory and the miraculous by doing what we did before. It will demand a greater price to see a greater glory. I have already determined many months ago I am going to pay that price because I want to see a greater glory. But that's all right, me doing it. You have to decide whether you are going to pay the price. Of course. You can enjoy it, you can watch from the sidelines, and you don't have to pay much of a price to watch from the sidelines. But it's more fun being on the pitch. It's more fun being right in the midst of it. It's more fun being there, because then you see things that blow your mind. And I want each and every one of you to see those things for yourself, not to hear about it secondhand, not to hear a testimony about it. I want you to be given the testimony of how God broke through. I want you to be given the testimony of what did in you and through you. I want you to be doing it, because the more of us that can do it, the greater impact we can have and the more we can affect. I want us all to be there. But you have to decide. What are you going to do? Okay. Uh, can you two come back? And sing Conqueror. I know it'll take a moment because you'll have to uh, plug yourselves in, but I can talk for a moment. I just want to give you a moment to... Um, sorry, I, I, they've just got to get themselves ready. I, I want to give you a moment to just ponder this. I, I realise this is not a nice stroke-your-head word. I, I recognise that. But actually, I think it's necessary that we recognise we're weary. If you're weary and you're tired, I want to encourage you to keep going. Later on, in the story in chapter 8. If you know the story, Gideon starts off with 30,000 men. He loses, I think, 20-odd thousand because uh, they're a bit scared and he ends up with about 7 or 8, and 8,000. And then he does another thing and he loses another 1,000. Oh, he ends up with 300 anywhere. And eventually uh, you get to chapter 8 and it says he's, he's going towards the Jordan that he was always promised. The Israelites were always promised to have. And it says something like, the 300 men of Gideon followed him wearily, but they followed him. That's the key. Even though they were weary, because they'd, they'd had battle after battle after battle after battle. They were battle weary. Maybe you might be battle weary, but I want to encourage you, if you are battle weary, keep on following, because that's when you get into the promise. Do not give up now. Do not give up. If this is a marathon, you have already run 20-odd miles. Do not stop now. Don't give up. Keep going. And I want you to sing this, Lord. As, as, as Ellie sings Conqueror now, and, and I'm a conqueror, I want you to sing it out. I want you to sing it loud. I want you to just declare it over yourself. I know that in you, you might not feel like that. But listen, if you don't feel it, you're the one that needs to sing it the most. Just declare it, who God says you are. Amen? Okay. Thank you, God.
challenged but I pray that you also make an actual choice we really must decide who we are living for and we really must decide who our master and lord is and I realise that's challenging lots of us don't really want to make choices and that means all sorts of different things but I just want to encourage you for whatever it means for you wherever you are it might mean that you need to decide that Jesus is somebody you want to get to know maybe you don't really know Jesus and you're watching this or you don't know the Jesus that you've heard us speak of anyway if you've been watching him for a few weeks then hey he's desperate to get to know you in a deeper way desperate to get to share with you you've just got to go dear Jesus I want to know you more and he'll be right there but some of us who have walked a bit longer we've got to decide what it means for Jesus to be master and lord we've got to decide what it means in our actual day to day lives and how much we are going to choose to invest or not in our relationship. And of course, whatever you decide, he loves you, he's there, he's with you, he's for you. It's, it's not like uh, he's going to stop loving you or anything. Of course, no matter what you decide, you, you can have Christianity light and he'll love you to bits. Or you can have Christianity full on and he'll love you to bits. The difference is you get transformed in Christianity full on and you get to transform others. That's where I live and that's where I want you to live because it's the most exciting place I've found to live. Let's journey towards that place together.